welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me, where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. And quickly before we start today, I just wanted to ask you a favor. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. Thank you so much. And if you rate and review, it would really help us with the algorithm so people can easily search the show if they would like. So I would really love to hear your feedback and what you have to say uh, so I can bring you the content that's most fit for you. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of Traumatic Transformations. Today we have with us Jonathan Agin. He is a licensed attorney and a former civil defense trial lawyer from Washington, D.C. He now resides in Falls Church, Virginia, and has four children, Alexis, Gabriel, Trevor, and Kylie. And he has a very powerful and an amazing story that I cannot wait to get into. Um, so let's dive right in. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jonathan. And I can't wait to talk all about your narrative. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's an honor. I'm really looking forward to this. Yay. Okay, let's get started. So can sort of give us an update as to, you know, where your journey began in terms of the traumatic part of your journey. And now, you know, we'll work that back into who you are today as a result of that. And what is it that you do? So sort of walk us into your adversity. Sure. So that's such an all encompassing question. And one of the things that I'm currently doing with my life is actually going back through all aspects of it and trying to find those areas uh, of trauma or mm -hmm. areas that I felt have been traumatic and just trying to release them. And so it, the obvious one is the loss of my daughter, Alexis, my, my firstborn, to uh, terminal brain cancer in 2011. She was two weeks shy of her fifth birthday. Uh, and that has launched me on my professional path and some of the things that I do with my life. But going back further, I lost my only sibling, my sister, back in 2002 to a, uh, thank you, to a, a single vehicle accident. And, uh, you know, there, there's just tr various traumas that all kind of forge who I am. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so tell us about what, what, what is your grieving and what was that loss part of your journey? What did that look like? It, it changed over time and continues to change, frankly. Really? 
you know, it, it was really transformative, mm-hmm. extremely uh, foundational on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Grief, as you know, grief falls along a continuum. Mm-hmm. And I, I can see at different points in times where I've advanced and I've retreated and I've advanced and retreated and, and gone back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I've found over the last number of years is that life gets in the way of life. And so as, as I've tried to connect with Alexis more and do things that are more mindful in Mm -hmm. my daily activities to try and connect with her, uh, there's so many points in times where I get so focused on what I'm doing and focused on everything else going on in life that it almost feels like that grief component and that connection just dissipates tremendously yeah you know it just it it kind of winds along the road as as I go forward I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you know I think um so I want to take a moment to sort of educate our my listeners about the process of grieving because I don't think everybody understands if they have not been through it um that grieving is on a continuum and it is our journey and it looks very different for different people that's something that one of the things that I specialize in. So, and I really feel very connected to, you know, and Cobbler Roos's um, definition of Greece and the spectrum that we talked, we we're so speaking about. And in that she talks about, um, you know, grief, it, there are different stages of grieving, different people go through different phases of grieving. And sometimes it, it it's the, all of those. So there are five stages, which is it starts with a the shock. Then there is the denial part that this can't be happening right now. Then there is the anger part which is just as important because we all go, anger is like the tip of the iceberg and underneath it, there are such deep, dark emotions that we feel as a result of our loss. And then there is the bargaining and negotiating phase. It's like, let me try everything and anything to make sure that if there is even a chance that I can bring them back or if I can have them back in my life or something that I can do or, you know, all that back and forth that we do with our higher power or just in our life that we do to sort of make some kind of connection, like you said, with them. And then there is a depression process where you just feel so much sadness and the tangibility and the physical missing part of some the uh, of our loss. And then the last part is the acceptance part. Uh, but when I say it's the last part, it's just that when you're going through the process of grieving, it's such a back and forth throughout the days, the early days, the first of anything, the first, um, you know, the sometimes it's it's not that this phase will last for, you know, so many weeks or so many months or so many years. It, sometimes all of that can happen in a day or in an hour. And right. sometimes all of that can happen throughout the years, you know, and different people. A lot of times we don't understand people's griefs. And I don't think the idea is to understand, but the idea is to empathize with people who are going through it. And, you know, sort of. So what are some of the things that you needed and what, would it, what was your pro- grieving process like? So it's interesting as you talked about the stages, Mm. because with with my sister, Mm. it was sudden. It it was single vehicle accident. She was on life support. Mm. And then that was that. Yeah. It was a 33 month long journey. Yeah. Where on day one, we were told that she was dead. We were told that she had a zero percent chance of, of survival with what she was diagnosed with. Yeah. And so 
the the grieving process for both is has been so different. Right. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's like we think, oh, you know, grieving process looks the same for every loss we have. But right. like you mentioned, it was different for every time we go. To, and, you know, sometimes like in our therapy world, we have this thing where, you know, anything that we feel emotionally or psychologically attached to or spiritually attached to, if we lose anything, even if it's like for some people, it's like hair or aging, you know, that phase of life is grieving. Anything that we feel attached to or close to or, you know, in tune with and we lose that from our life, that that emotional connection, we go through either extreme or just phases of grieving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and two people ex- that experience the same loss grieve mm-hmm. differently. And, and uh, you know, and, and yes. I've seen that over and over again with people in the childhood cancer community. Uh, I've seen people who have just rolled up in a ball and remained just a, a shell of themselves. I've seen people that have been extremely angry and just they they can't get out of that. And then I've seen people that have chosen to put their their grief into a, a constructive vehicle. Um, right. so, so what did that journey look like for you? What was that process like for you after Alexis? Or um, Alexis, I should say. So, yeah, it, it, it really started taking shape while she was still fighting. I always had hope. Yeah. Always had hope. Uh, and, uh, you know, her mother and I, I, I think we did everything possible in yeah. terms of trying to trying to save her. Right. Uh, and during those 33 months, right. I, I learned a lot more about childhood cancer and, and I evolved along that continuum. I think mm-hmm. I was extremely angry. I yeah. uh, did the bargaining. I, you know, I, I used to joke that, I didn't care who saved Alexis or what saved Alexis. Right. Uh, we're Jewish. Right. I, I joke that if, if, uh, you know, Allah himself came to me and said, convert and we'll save her. I, I in a heartbeat. Yes. Yes. I, I wrote, communicated with the Dalai Lama. We communicated with our rabbi, with our clergy. I, I used to pray every single Wednesday with this extremely devout, Catholic who lived in Jersey City. Right. I, I anointed her with water from Lords. I, you name it. Right. I it. Yeah. And so, you know, it along the continuum of that 33 months, I, I went from bargaining out from anger. It, I wrote a lot. I was not a writer. I did not like writing. Um, You're a lawyer. How can you not be a lighter? Well, <laughs> different, different type of writing. I know. <laughs> uh, very different type of writing. I didn't like spewing my emotions on a page and my thoughts on a page. But did, did that have to? Did that anything have to do with you being a man and the subconscious message that we grew yeah, up? It could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but what I also found in my transformation throughout is that. I really enjoyed writing. Mm. I love writing, and and you know, early on there was a caring bridge, caring bridge page created, and another page created so that uh, Alexis's mother and I could blog and tell right. people what was going on. So the phone didn't have to ring fifty times, and we didn't have right. to explain over and over. And I didn't write, and and I avoided it. And then I agreed to write a post or two, and then I started writing every single day. Wow, and my and you can see the transformation throughout in my writing in this blog, 
because I was extremely angry at first and I was of the mindset, you know, big pharma has a cure for cancer. The government has a cure for cancer. They're hiding it. This is awful. And as I accepted Mm. what was happening throughout the course of of her diagnosis and her battle, uh, I started to transform really into a childhood cancer advocate and into an advocate that tried to understand behind the scenes how to uh, how to help her and uh, you know I think that that has been extremely helpful for me along the way to be able to find that and you know like I said I, I know a lot of people in this community and there's a lot of, of people that fall all along continuum uh, for me it just it, it transformed me and it gave me a tremendous perspective you know, one of the things that you mentioned really struck me, and I was actually just speaking to someone earlier today on one of my lives, and we were talking about writing as a way to be a cathartic experience and, you know, as a part of recovery. Um, she was a sexual um, trauma survivor, and she now is an author and amazing one at that. And she wrote a book about how, you know, her entire journey through being disabled with cerebral palsy and stuff and, you know, writing a book about that. Um, but what I'm trying to get to is that writing and most people are just like, and, you know, just in therapy too, we are very big on journaling, writing, because a lot of times it's just when you keep all these pent up emotions, they need somewhere to go. So at some point it manifests itself in either physical ailments and, you know, like our trauma or unresolved trauma and going through something like this is very traumatic all of a sudden finding out that your child will no longer be can be heartbreaking. And, you know, when you go through that kind of stuff, you have to have some kind of outlet. You will have emotions no matter what. Like you said, some people get angry and there has to be outlet. So one of the things we mentioned, so there was a study done. Um, it was a double blind study and one of them was a control group. They all express, you know, uh, expressed um, depressive symptoms. And they noticed that the people who are control group were made to write and journal for two weeks and then the ones the other group had the same similar symptoms but they weren't they weren't yeah. asked to write um and then they did it was a double blind study and then after two weeks they measured results and they noticed significant decrease in alleviation of depressive okay. symptoms with the journaling population so yeah. a lot of times people say oh i you know i'm not a writer or i can't write well if you can hold a pen and just write your thoughts free association writing not right material but just something that you just get all your stuff out nothing that i even tell people you don't even have to go back and read it you can flush it you can burn <laughs> it but as long as you are getting it out those emotions have a place to leave and let go as opposed right. to stay in you right and what i found is that i wasn't necessarily writing for a purpose and to to advocate and sway and to, right. to do anything like that i was really writing to just let my feelings flow. And I found that I could, and I found that it was so much easier to express my feelings that way. And, and yeah. it ultimately turned into something that, that created a bridge to allow me to focus on advocacy work. Uh, but, you know, in the process and during her, uh, the course of her diagnosis and her fight, mm. it really became a cathartic exercise. Absolutely. Uh, I also was. I also ran a lot back then and got into doing triathlons and. and oh wow! Really, Talk about extremes. <laughs> and, and, uh, I mean, I've always been athletic. I've always yeah. been an athlete for my whole life. 
Um, although these last number of years, I've kind of fallen off that. Uh, <laughs> we all go through those phases, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, through that, it allowed me to, to, to really, really focus and allowed me as an outlet. And same thing right after my sister died. Mm. Uh, I remember either the day that she died or the day after I put on my running shoes. And I, I can't tell you whether I ran a mile or a hundred miles. I have no idea. Wow. I just ran and, and just the, mm. the one step in front of the other, it just, there's a catharsis in that. Um, and, Absolutely. you know, it, it's, it's to me, it, things like that are very symbolic of, of the process of going through a traumatic experience. And Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's like to you, that's what you needed. That's what you did. That was right. your finding because I think, you know, it's like people when they're going through and sometimes you, and I've gone through my processes of grieving, but I, and I can speak only for myself, but I feel that sometimes when you're grieving, you find yourself in such desperate stage and phases of your mind that you don't know what to do. And in that, whatever you feel is the right thing for you to do is the thing that you end up doing. And then that just ends up being so cathartic and really helpful part of healing and recovery. Yeah. And it can be, and uh, of course, can be on the negative side of things too. Oh, absolutely. You know, there certainly was a point in time during Alexis's journey that, you know, I, I wasn't drinking excessively, but Sure. Yeah, I drank more than I had been. Right. And it, it was, I, I I was allowed to. My daughter right. was dying. She had terminal brain cancer. But, you know, it's, I, I think we all experience grief in the process so yeah. differently. Yeah. That, that causes so many issues between people. And, and I lost friends as a result of, of my daughter's death. Right. People that couldn't. They, 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 I was too sad for them. I talked right. about Alexis too much. I talked about her death too much and it made me too sad, uh, you know, but you know, it, that it, is a part of the grieving process in, in our, yeah. in our world, in the mental health therapy world or advocacy world, we're very big on, especially in the process of grieving. And I think that's where the whole, you know, it's like some people at some point of your lives in our lives, they leave because they stop serving their purpose um, for our higher alignment and our vision. And right. in the process of grieving, one of the things that we advocate for in, in the mental health world is that sometimes you have to be able to talk about the people that you lost, you know, right. it, 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 it's a, it, it really helps in healing and moving forward, not moving on, but moving forward from that loss, you know, um, it's just very, for some reason, very healing to talk about them because there are so many different nuances to that, that we don't want them to be forgotten. We want to, you know, we miss them physically. So we remind, remind, keep them in our mind and talking right. and communicating about them. It makes us feel still closer and connected to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, it's a big difference between, how people dealt with the death of a child decades ago versus now and, and that permission to speak about your child. And people are still uncomfortable with that, but it always amazes me, you know, people who lost a child that grew up in the forties and fifties and sixties, it's, it's like, they don't even, yeah. they don't want to talk about it. The yeah. child doesn't exist anymore oh. and they just bury it in. 
Right, right, right. So, and that leads me to another interesting part that I think I must mention since we're on the topic is emotions and how, um, so I was really watching this amazing um, TED talk yesterday by this woman called Brene Brown and uh, love her work. My wife loves her. Yeah. My wife loves Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I guess we do similar kind of work, so it makes sense as to (laughs) why. But I was watching her talk and she talks about, you know, we as uh, since we're on the topic of how we deal with emotions and how we deal with vulnerability and how we deal with, you know, um, empathy. And it it just it's like we are a country where we have the highest amount of credit card debts. We have so much obesity. We have so much use of drugs and alcohol. We have, you know, all these maladaptive things that we do as a result of repressing or not feeling our emotions because we can't talk about it. So we'll just go out there and drink some beer and eat some cupcakes or chocolates and just go out there and have random sex. Yeah. Why not? You know, but it doesn't exist. Exactly. Let's not talk about emotions. Let's not talk about feelings because that's considered weak, unfortunately. Right. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I, you know, that's uh, that, that I wanted to use this pl- platform and this podcast is to educate people that were so focused on intelligence, the IQ, 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 colleges, GPAs, this, you know, the professions, money, What about EQ, emotional intelligence, what about knowing what you are feeling instead of resisting and pushing it away and not uh, acting like everything is normal and then having all these other things that are playing out. Um, in the background, like I was mentioning about obesity and debts and financial, you know, it's like therapy. There's actually a concept called retail therapy now. And it just boggles my brain that, you know, it's like, what are we trying to push away so badly that we're not feeling that we're not taught to learn how to manage them. We're not taught to be okay with what they are. You know, there's actually a part of our brain called interior cingulate that's, that's, uh, responsible for emotional regulation. Emotions that we use the word feeling and emotions interchangeably, but they're two different right. things. And emotions are our body's way or just our ways of alerting us that, hey, something is up. You need to pay attention and work through it as opposed to repressing it, not talk about it. Let's not address it. Let's you know not make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't want somebody else's discomfort. Exactly. And, and we don't know what to do with that discomfort. No, yeah, no, absolutely not. We're not we're not taught. We're not shown how to empathize, absolutely. how to comfort. And, it, you know, as a man, it, it I, I think the traditional gender stereotypes really continue to force men to not show their emotion and don't absolutely. cry. And all man things. up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I. I uh, if you talk to my wife, she would tell you that I cry more than she does. Aww, um, and you know, I've always been a very emotional person. Writing allowed me to share my emotions more. Mm-hmm. Going along with my daughter's journey allowed mm-hmm. me to, I think, have the ability to bring my emotions out, though. Awesome. You know, that's one the, what you just said about in, in crying. I just have a little tidbit about that. Apparently, like then there is body of research done on crying where they measured people's tears and the chemicals in people's tears and microscopically studied that. They saw that when we feel certain things, there are all these neurotransmitters that are released as neurotoxins that need to be released from your body. That's one of the reasons why we cry. 
one of the reasons there are a number of different reasons why we cry we can have a happy cry we can have a sad cry we can have all these different kinds of cries but cryings are the way to release that neurotoxins because somehow they need to get out of the body just like you know any other excretion that we have during the day so if you keep it in it wreaks havoc in your you know other brain and your body and your body keeps course of all of those things but it's just a way of body's way of releasing neurotoxins so yeah crying get a lot of opportunities to release neurotoxins <laughs> so if you really want to make it scientific, hey, you know, that's what that means. Um, so you know, I think we we think that being emotional and showing emotion and showing your feelings makes you less effective, makes you weaker. It's it's this, you know, it, it's this weakness. But Absolutely. Rather, I think that in it, it, it can allow you to become more effective and allow you to connect with people. Yes. I, I mean, there's a time and place for it, obviously. Absolutely. But with that said, you know, when you're talking about going through trauma and talk about uh, how it can transform you positively or negatively, you know, the emotion of, of this and the emotion of what I experienced is, is what helped shape me and helped guide me upon the path I'm on now. Absolutely. So tell us now on perfect segue where tell us now, what is your, we talked a little bit about your recovery, but tell us how you found your purpose through it. And what is it that you do now to, you know, having gone through some of these very deep hardships and learning some of these very deep lessons of life? Sure. So my daughter died in January of 2011. Mm. I had formed my own law firm with uh, two partners back in 2004. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was actually a, a happy lawyer. Hmm. Uh, I, I liked what Those I did. are very few to find. In our exactly. world, we say, you know, dentists, uh, the dentists have the highest amount of suicide and lawyers have the highest amount of alcoholism. Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me in the least. No. Uh, and, and But I actually, I enjoyed the practice. I enjoyed awesome. the, the chess match. I enjoyed the business development aspect of it. But, you know, after... It, during the course of my daughter's uh, journey, mm-hmm. as I started to delve into the world of, of advocacy work, um, mm-hmm. it really it it held my passion. It was my passion. When my daughter died, um, I I tried to do everything and anything I could to get engaged and involved in childhood cancer advocacy work. And mm-hmm. advocacy is a amorphous concept. Uh, at the time, it was the legislative side of things. And there were a couple of pieces of legislation pending that uh, I, I would try and help get you know, passed and, and out of committee. And, wow. uh, you know, it's a, it's a very long story, but uh, somebody stole Lex's social security number shortly mm. after she died and used it to file a tax return. Mm. And the story, the story got out and, uh, number of interviews were done with uh, Alexis mother and I, and then I was asked to write a piece for the Huffington Post about it. And after I wrote that first piece, they asked me to, you know, look, anytime you want to write, just submit. And I started to, and I just started writing. And one thing led to another, a family down in Houston who had a child that was Mm -hmm. diagnosed with cancer, Mm -hmm. uh, saw one of my pieces and we just struck up a a friendship and Mm -hmm. association and they knew that I was trying to transition out of the practice of law to focus on childhood cancer advocacy work. And that meant nonprofit work mm. uh, or more or less. 
Sure. And so they, they offered me the opportunity to, they wrote me a grant for a year. I just needed to find a, a nonprofit to utilize the grant in. And, and that kind of helped launch me from there. Uh, and that was 2015. Mm. Before that point in time, I'd been trying to create a number of other uh, vehicles. Uh, I was trying to create a political action committee to actually do lobbying for childhood cancer. Wow. Uh, and at some point, I had been invited to a scientific meeting out in San Francisco mm-hmm. and struck up a conversation with a, a researcher who I'd known through the community at a cocktail party afterwards. And that was in November 2013. And by 2014, uh, he and I and some other folks had formed a for-profit company. And then uh, the researcher and I and, and one other person actually co-founded a nonprofit childhood cancer a research biotech in Beaverton, Oregon. Wow. Uh, so, I, and, and I act as general counsel and institutional official, making sure that all of our protocols were set up and all of our legal protocols. And I was raising funds for the lab. And, um, and so those two things allowed me to transi- transition out of the practice of law. I mean, it was my passion. You know, right. My passion grew from tragedy. It just so happened that uh, there was such a confluence of uh, of things that came together between my education, my, my training, my passion, my ability to speak and write, and uh, you know, and I taught myself how to do intellectual property work, to file trademarks and patents, and taught myself how to you know just engage wow. in so many different things that I had no background in whatsoever, and really learned the scientific component of things, and really uh, it. it just allowed me to focus on what you know was driving me. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, kind of, you know, tickle your brain a little in terms of finding your purpose, because I think a lot of people find themselves stuck in what their purpose is. And sometimes we just go through the mediocrity of life because we feel and don't dream big because as kids, we want to be, you know, astronauts, pilots, doctors, this, that, and then life happens. And I'm not a believer of that, I guess. I mean, I was for a bit and then I got sidetracked with that. And then I'm like, no, I've always been dream big. You know, 40 percent of Mm -hmm. people don't come true, but the rest do. So whatever do, you know, they're they hit it big. Um, But so tell tell what what is your what would your advice or what would your um, message to people who are trying to find their purpose after um, loss, losing someone um, be. That's, that's such a, I know a deep <laughs> and huge question, but it's, I was thinking about this before, uh, you know, before we started chatting and it's funny because growing up, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Oh, uh, wow. And I, I played through college, but in Division Three, and I was not—I was nowhere near good enough to, to, you know, keep moving forward in the game. Um, and so I had to give up that dream shortly after college, or actually in college, frankly. Um, right. And you know, then I wanted to go into politics. I actually—I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, out of undergrad, I started working for American Greetings. I was in sales and marketing. Mm. And I was I was such a political junkie. And I wanted to... <laughs> well, you live um, in D.C. Subconsciously. Well, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Although now I, I, you know, no, no, no. Um, right. 
but I, I wanted to run for Congress and oh. I was going to get a master's in public administration. And a friend of mine said to me, one of my closest friends who was a first year in law school at the time, he said, how are you going to be a, a, a politician? They all have JDs. You need a JD to, to write laws. That was in like, I don't know, February of, of uh, February of 95 or 96. Wow. Okay. By August, I found myself sitting in a law school classroom. Wow. And, and I, I really, truly loved law right. school and loved the study and the practice. And I loved trying cases and all that stuff. But, you know, through how I'd answer your question is. For you. Yeah. And you I know, don't expect you to give advice to people, but what was no, your journey like? I think you have to let life speak to you. Uh, yes. Life can get in the way of life. Right. But, you know, for me, it just. It, it it was a a you know a beautiful burden for me basically mm-hmm. that's my wife coined the the term beautiful burden and I love it. it really truly was but it you know before Alexis's diagnosis I, I loved coral reefs I grew up always loving coral reefs and I oh wow getting well, a, a in trouble right now with everything yeah no they're not doing well and I love yeah. scuba diving and and so I, I was given the opportunity to sit on uh, the board of directors of a nonprofit out of Key West. And, you know, it really, that was, that was a passion. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that for me, finding my passion, it really didn't, there were a number of, of watershed moments in my life that mm. I don't think I truly recognized or understood at the time. Yes. But this one was just, it was a swift punch. Wow. And it was just something that I couldn't turn away from. Yeah. And I saw as, you know, as, as Alexis passed away, I saw so much need and yeah. families are going bankrupt because of, of having to find trials all over the world. And families are, you know, trying to find treatments and families don't have money to pay their electric bills and, and they're, right the drugs that we're using are 40 and 50 years old and are destroying kids. So even as you're a survivor, you're left damaged for life. And so there, it it just, I I just had this burning desire. Right. And it just, it all connected. Wow. Tragedy brought me to this point. Right. Wow. How beautifully said. Uh, And it's true because, you know, sometimes like you, I think one of the things that I really picked up and loved what you said was you have to just let life speak to you because I think sometimes our intuition and sometimes our, you know, tragedies and sufferings are a way of trying to nudge us into a direction that we don't necessarily see is better. When we're stuck in it, we get so um, consumed by it that we don't see that there is life at the end of the tunnel and that there is better that is pointing us in the direction that is just much bigger than the thing that we're consumed in. We don't allow it to. I, I think we, you know, life gets in the way of life and and we get in the way of, of allowing these things to happen. And um, and again, this is another concept that my wife has, has taught me is that, you know, you should look at at least what, and I know I don't always do this, right. but, you know, as something negative happens, mm-hmm. don't look at it as a negative, look at it as, as a positive and look at it as an opportunity for something different and oh, let, let life bring you along the way instead of resisting. And yes. Uh, you know, I, I, 
you know, I'm guilty of resisting plenty of times. And we all are till we recognize that we're doing, and I don't think there is anything wrong with it because even with my patients, I, I, I nudge them in that direction, even though in my own life, I continue to work towards that where, but I've gone to a place in my life where I can be like, okay, you know what? I am having a really crappy day, week or weeks. Yeah. That's that. But I know eventually this will n- not last forever because nothing, it cannot rain forever. The, right. You know, it, you cannot be sad forever. At some point, you're going to be so sad that you're going to take desperate measures, whether good or bad, unfortunately, yeah. for that to end, you know? So yeah. um, it's just a matter of when you're deep and in it, asking yourself the right questions as in, instead of asking why does this keep happening to me over and over? Because I find that life is the only place where we get the lessons after and the test first. (laughs) And, you know, I just think that asking yourself, what am I learning from this? What is this trying to teach me? The more we embrace it and the more we say, what am I learning? How am I growing? How is this important to my soul's evolution? The more we get the answers that we find ourselves being so consumed or deep in and finding ourselves in that darkness. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I, I still, uh, there's a, a part of me that actually likes that darkness sometimes. Yeah. And, and sometimes I go into it and I stay there and I beat myself up and I we don't all do. I, and, and, uh, you know, but with, with something that's currently occurring professionally to me right now, mm. That's one of the exercises that I need to do is look at the lessons that I've learned from this experience and and allow it to take me to where I needed to take stage. me uh, and and not ask the why and and ask the okay what can I do with what I know and and how can I not repeat it um, right and what better is waiting along for me that's one thing that I see and I know that spiritually not everybody sees that uh, but. The just normally I tend to find that when you're in that process of healing or recovery or in that journey of growth, um, there's all, if you look back on your life, you always know that it has always gotten better with time or with things or with experiences. It's not that you started with something and you went 10 steps back into the thing that you started when you were, you know, in your twenties or early thirties. Um, somehow it, it, some of those experiences pile on to be better experiences than you had ever thought that were going to happen. But I think that's, that can be summed up in one word perspective. Yes. uh, You know, how you allow perspective to guide you and yes, you can either allow perspective to guide you down a deep, dark hole. And that's your only perspective. And, and certainly, you know, I think we're all guilty of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's, always negative to be in that dark hole. Yeah. But, you know, for me, you know, for one example is I used to have, and I guess I still do have a, a temper, but it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be mm-hmm. driving into DC every day to go into my office. I mean, the drivers are horrible. Yeah. And <laughs> somebody cut me off. I'd be the first one lowering my window and swearing at them and screaming and flipping <laughs> them off and trying to cut them off. You know, after my daughter died, as I started driving back into the district, if somebody cut me off, it's like, you know what? More power to you. Bye. You must need to get to where you're going more than yeah. I do. I don't care anymore. It That just, wow. it's not important. And there's so much that perspective can teach you and share uh, if you allow it. And, Absolutely. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for mentioning that because it's so right. It's like in any given situation, one person can look at it so much differently. Like, you know, and, and I'm going to end this uh, with the, on this note, since you brought up the word perspective, and I'm about to speak on this, this on Sunday in terms of this wellness summit that I'm on, it's like ending self-sabotage judging and not allowing yourself to be stuck. Um, but, you know, it's like in, in, in this year, right. In this whole COVID situation that we're all in and how yeah. exacerbated this entire situation has been, the more we talk about it, the worse it gets. It has been horrible for a lot of people, for a lot of families who've lost jobs, who've lost people, who've, you know, lost a lot of things. Yes. But then there have also been another set of people who have looked at this as an opportunity to grow and get past. Because one of my things is at the end of the year, things are not going to stop or not going to end all of a sudden in 2021. It's going to be the same. But the mindset that we decide to change or the perspective shift, if we do that um, in the next year, if we can beat COVID, we can beat anything else that comes our way because it's just as difficult as any other situation that we could be faced with. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, uh, you know, I talked about my wife uh, a number of times. One of the tools that she's given me is as a recovered alcoholic is her 10 step out of, uh, out of the program. And I, I resist it. I have dug my heels in when she takes me through it and all that, but yeah, you know, <laughs> it's focused. It, it, I did a number of them today and yeah, it really has given me the ability to use those tools and look at the facts from emotions and gain perspective and shift my attitude. And, um, you know, at, at this point in time, I have a roof over my head. I have food in the refrigerator. Exactly. Yeah some income and I can make more income and I have, you know, my kids, my wife, it's, it's okay. True. So well put. I agree with the same. I feel that this year, the only thing that I wanted out of myself and my family is just to be safe, healthy. We have some money, we have some food, all good. Things will change. Nothing in life lasts forever. Everything is temporary. Constant is the only change we have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us on this um, journey. I really appreciate you joining us and talking about some of your struggles and just some of your mountains and all the beautiful, beautiful um, wealth of wisdom that you shared with us. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It was my uh, my pleasure, my honor. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. And I will definitely have your wife on my show for sure. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Uh, if you guys like what you hear, uh, and by the way, uh, John- Jonathan, what's the best way of getting a hold of you if my listeners would like to get a hold of you? How, ca- how can they find you? Um, so I- I'm creating, my wife showed me Linktree or Linktree yes. or whatever that is. So I- I- I'll-, I'll share that with you. Sure. So let me know that information and I'll put that in my show notes whenever you send that to me. But thank you so much, you guys, for being here and listening to everything that you guys tuned in for. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and please be so kind to rate and review us so that the algorithms can, you know, uh, bump us up and other people can easily find us so that they can get all this wealth of knowledge, inspiration, hope um, if they're going through these difficult, traumatic and adverse times of their life. Thank you so much. And until then, see you next time time. Bye.